here at Midway Baptist Church. Um, it is our, our privilege to be able to worship along with you today in your home, and we hope that everybody is doing well. We're thankful to be together today and, and to be able to worship in this way, and, uh, and, I, and I'm praying for you, and I, and I pray that you'll pray for this service, that it will be used to glorify God in every way um, as we seek to worship Him today. I, I want to give just a, a few announcements to, um, to all those that are listening um, that are part of Midway Baptist, a few things to remember um, throughout this week. Uh, one is Tuesday night. Um, Tuesday night, we're going to have a special prayer gathering together via Zoom conference. And um, if you'll check uh, your emails, um, either today or tomorrow, there should be a, uh, a link that will get you onto that Zoom conference. And what we're going to do is we're just going to spend an hour or so together um, and, and just pray um, to seek the Lord together, to encourage one another, um, and, and, and to lift up the name of Jesus. This week uh, is, is a special week to pray, and I, and I do think it's very fitting. Um, that this is the week of national prayer, that the, the national day of prayer is actually on Thursday. Um, so, so it coincides right with that week. But I, I pray that you'll join me on Tuesday night um, at 7 o'clock for, for that time of prayer. Also, remember, um, remember that you've got an opportunity uh, to minister to uh, the residents at White Oak Manor. Um, uh, there's 67 residents that, that live there, and, and with, all, with all that's going on with COVID-19, um, they're not able to see, uh, to see their family, to be with their family, or have visitors. And so we've got an opportunity to, to minister to them. Uh, we can write cards, um, encouraging notes, uh, devotional thoughts to them. And all you have to do is bring those by the church. Um, you can do that from 4.30 to 6.30 on Tuesday to Friday. Or uh, you can mail them into the church. But you don't need to take them to White Oak. We have someone uh, that's, that's willing to do that here that will take them by each week. I was really encouraged to see that, that some of you are already doing that. Um, so thank you. And our goal is to do this on a weekly basis. So, so write a few cards each week um, to help encourage those, uh, those residents there and, and to lift them up. And also, remember, uh, on May the 17th, um, we're going we're gonna to celebrate our 80th homecoming uh, together. And that's going to be through, through an online service, as we do each week um, for, for the immediate future. And uh, you've got a way uh, to help us make that a, a special day. Um, if you will send in, uh, if you'll send in a 30-second video um, just, just taking a moment to, uh, to praise God for, for what he's done in your life, maybe through the ministry of this church, what Midway may mean to you. Maybe you just want to tell everybody that you love them. I know uh, one of our friends and family members, Chauncey Hill, um, that's what he told me he wanted to be said, was just, I love everyone. I love my church. You can do that. It's a very simple thing. Just send in a video. Um, you can send it to our secretary uh, at mwbaptist.org. Um, you can also send in a letter. If you would like that to be read on, on the 17th, we'll be sure to do that. Um, or, you can, uh, or you can send in any pictures, uh, memories that you have um, from the past or even present pictures uh, uh, of the church family. We're going to put those together um, in a special video for Homecoming Sunday on May the 17th. And we have plans, by the way, this, is not, uh, this will not be the only way that we celebrate Homecoming. When we're able to come back together, we will have a Homecoming Sunday, a Reunion Sunday. Um, and we will celebrate our 80th year together um, together then. But again, thank you for, for being with us today. Um, I encourage you uh, to, to share uh, this video, um, realizing that when we share, uh, we share with others, more people can see, more people can watch in. Uh, invite a family to, to watch al uh, along with you there. Uh, if you have a prayer need, um, there's, a, there's a prayer box that you can place request in, or you can, you can post it there in the feed as the service goes on. But, but thank you so much for joining us this morning. I want to I begin by just reading um, uh, some scripture to you. And uh, in Revelation 
um, chapter 21, uh, the scripture tells us that, that one day, one day very soon, God's going to wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. And I know that um, right now, uh, we all miss one another. We all miss being together. Um, but there is coming a day very, very soon where there aren't going to be any more uh, mandates, any more bans. There's not going to be social distancing uh, rules. We're going to be with the Lord together. We look forward um, to that day. We remember the promises of God today. I hope you're comforted in that. Let's worship together. Being here with, with us this morning, um, let's start off with prayer. Thank you, Lord, for this wonderful day that you've given us. Thank you, Lord, for all your many blessings in our lives, Lord, that um, as your children, we can call you Father. God, and you're a good Father, and you take care of your children, and you love us so much. And we're thankful for that today, Lord. Um, just help us to um, look towards unity within the body at all times, even in these hectic times, God. Help us to reach out to one another, um, love each other like you love the church, God. Help us to um, just take from Peter's message and worship you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. We're going to do a praise song right now called Yes, I Will.
sing a song now called His Mercy is More. Sing along with us if you know it. Sins they are many, his mercy is more. We needed a righteous redeemer uh, when Christ came and paid the price for our sins, setting, setting us free. Uh, if you have your Bibles with you or handy, I want you to turn to the book of Ephesians today. Ephesians chapter 4, and together we're going to be reading verses 17 
uh, through chapter 5, verse 21. Don't worry, we're not going to be able to, to cover all of this uh, in, in one setting. Um, but I believe that God's Word uh, has something to say for us, and sometimes His Word simply is enough. And that's how I want to begin today, by reading these words um, from Ephesians chapter 4, starting in verse 17. Our theme this morning is going to be united in righteousness. United in righteousness. Starting in, in verse 17, Paul writes, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk, in the futility of their mind, having their understanding uh, darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness to work all uncleanness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him, and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you may put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, putting away lying, each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another." Be angry and do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give those who has need. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Therefore, be imitators of God as dearly loved, beloved children, and walk in love as Christ also loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be even named among you as is fitting for saints, neither filthiness nor foolish talking nor coarse jesting, which are not fitting but rather giving of thanks. For this you know that no fornicator, unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore do not be partakers with them, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light, for the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth, finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. And have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them, for it is the things uh, for it is shameful even to speak of those things which are done by them in secret. But all things that are exposed are made manifest by the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, Awake, you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time, because the days are evil. 
Therefore, do not be unwise, but understand what the will of the Lord is. And do not be drunk with wine, in which is dissipation, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting to one another in the fear of God. Let's pray for a moment. Father, in Jesus' name, we love you, we adore you, we worship you today, and Lord, we are so thankful beyond measure that your mercy is more. We praise the Lord in that. We are grateful, God, eternally grateful for the grace that you bestow on our lives. And we lift up our hearts to you today in prayer. And we ask you, God, to show us in the Scripture, illuminate the Scripture by your Spirit's power to speak into our lives right here and now. I'm thankful, God, for for every family that's gathered today um, to, to worship. I'm thankful, God, for their time. I'm thankful for their attention. And I pray, God, that you would edify the body of Christ as we study your word this morning. I want to pray for someone today that may be watching or that may, that may see this video at a later time that, that doesn't have peace with God, that doesn't walk in righteousness, that doesn't know Christ as Savior and Lord. I pray, God, that your spirit, by your power, by the preaching of the word of the Lord, that their eyes would be opened, that their hearts would be given to you, that they would be set free. We pray, God, today um, that disciples would be made, that, that lives would be changed, for the glory of God as we study your word. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. We're talking about being united in righteousness this morning, and Pastor Tony Evans uh, tells the story of a guy who visited with his nutritionist, and, and he said, I, I need some help changing my diet. Uh, every time I go to the grocery store, I find myself wanting to eat dog food. And, and he says, when I walk in, I feel strangely drawn to the dog food section. And, and when I'm there, I find myself looking at the picture of the dogs on, on, on the package, and I'm thinking about, you know, how much fun uh, it would be to, to, to play with those dogs. And, and then uh, out of nowhere, I'll just start opening up, ripping open these bags, and I'll eat a scoop of dog food, you know, one at a time. And, and sometimes I really get excited about the dog food. I, I bark and I howl and I lay on my back, and I try to get people walking by in the grocery store to scratch my belly, to play fetch with me, to pat my head. By the way, that will get you kicked out of a grocery store today. Uh, uh, so the nutritionist says, well, sir, that doesn't sound like a dietary challenge. How long have you been like this? And the man replied, ever since I was a puppy. <laughs> Some things, Pastor Evans says, require more than just behavior modification. Transformation. Transformation begins with identity. Real change in Christ flourishes when you embrace the new life and identity that he has given you upon salvation. We read in Ephesians chapter 2 that in Christ, in a relationship with Jesus, we are no longer dead in our trespasses and our sins. In him we have redemption, chapter 1 says. In him we have redemption through the forgiveness of our trespasses and sins. To the riches, uh, according to the riches of his grace that he has richly poured out on us with all wisdom and understanding. We also read that we are royal heirs in the kingdom of God. Right here in the book of Ephesians. And we have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's who we are. We have been reconciled 
to God through the cross of Christ. There's a major identity change when we give our hearts to Jesus. We have access to God the Father uh, through faith in him. We are a part of the body of Christ. Uh, uh, We have new faith in Christ, freedom in Christ. We have a new identity in Christ. We become the house of God. We are the temple of God. The presence of the Lord and the glory of Christ reside in each one of us in Christ. That's why it's so important at this time. And I I want every home to remember this, every individual listening to remember this. That's why it's so important in this time that we all remember we are the house of God. We are the house of God. Not the building that you're in, okay? As special as it is, as wonderful as it is to to gather every week in person in this house here at Midway Baptist, and as much as we miss it, we have to remember that there's so much more to Midway Baptist than the building itself. You are the building. You, You are the people of God. You are the ones glorifying Christ. You are the body of Christ, the church. Christ Jesus is in us. He's working through us. That's what makes us so unique, and that's what makes gathering together so special. That's why we should miss being together so much. It's because of you. It's because of Christ in you. The building has nothing to do with it. When we're together as the people of God, worshiping and praising God for His glory, pursuing Him together in mission, that's what makes being together so special because you're one in Him. You know, I want you to just to think for a moment, okay, beyond, beyond the scheduled meetings of services and things like that, what makes the body of Christ so unique? You know, my heart uh, leaps for joy, and I just I want to rejoice, and I want to thank God uh, uh, for you. Uh, when, when I'm with other believers, when we're together in Christ, uh, it doesn't matter where we are. We have fellowship when we're doing a birthday parade, you know, for, for a child or a student. Who, who, who had a birthday party uh, uh, or couldn't have a birthday party. When, when we're working on a playground, uh, that's fellowship together. When we're mowing grass, you know, for a, for a community member or for a member of our church family, that's being the church, that's being the body of Christ, that's having fellowship together. Even having a, a Bible study uh, through Zoom like we had this morning for our Sunday school class, uh, calling somebody, writing someone, actually being together in person for worship, praying with a brother and sister who's hurt and afraid. That's what makes the bond so strong when we're together, us realizing what we have in Christ and who we are in Christ. Don't lose sight of your identity individually or collectively. We are the redeemed, righteous, transformed body of Christ. When a person believes on Jesus, as Lord and a Savior, when they are born again, a transformation takes place in your life. You are a new creature. The Scriptures tell us that in 2 Corinthians 5 that the old has passed away. Behold, all things have become new. You don't receive something new. You become something new. All right? Uh, Christ lives in you. I'm a new man. You're a new man. You're a new woman in Christ. And if you're in Jesus today, you are new as well. So don't listen to what others may say. Their opinion doesn't matter. You are new if you're in Christ. Some folks struggle to see the new because all they know is the old. They remember your past. They might remind you of your past. They may not forgive you of the past, or they may not believe that you have truly changed. Don't let that discourage you. If you are in Christ, 
step away from the dog food and embrace your identity in the Lord Jesus. Walk in righteousness, for that is who you are. We are dead to sin. We're alive in Christ. We, are, we were saved. We are instruments of his righteousness. You've got a new identity, a new life, a new calling. You're no longer held captive. You're set free. You at one time in your life could not stop sinning. That's not true of you any longer. Jesus rules inside of you. And as Christians, as Christians, we truly are powerful by the power of God. I was with a, a young couple uh, for pre-marriage counseling um, last week and uh, one day, and we were talking about making the most of our time together as a, as a married couple, that God has not saved us, that God has not redeemed us or brought us together with our spouse just to focus on ourselves, you know, uh, to do home improvements, just to, just to get a better job or to make investments, you know, for, for you and for your financial gain. There's much more to marriage than that. We're believers in Christ, first and foremost. And we were talking about how God has made both the husband and the wife, the individual, for a reason. And I want to read to you uh, an excerpt from the book I was using. It's called You and Me Forever by Francis and Lisa Chan. And on pages 106 and 107, he said, God made you for a reason. Like a toaster, stoplight, or aircraft carrier, you were designed for a specific way, for a specific purpose. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. You are different than everybody else on earth for a reason, and we have a supernatural gift to offer the church. To say that you're useless, to say that you're ungifted, is to say that God failed. I used to think I was being humble by making statements like, I'm not very gifted, I, I'm just an average guy who isn't great at anything. And a deeper study of Scripture, Chan says, convinced me that this wasn't humility, this was a lack of faith. The Holy Spirit of God empowers me. Why would I be self-deprecating? If Christ is living through me and the Spirit of God is empowering me, shouldn't I be powerful? Don't let the enemy tell you different. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are filled with divine power. The Spirit of God unleashes His power when you use your gift for the good of the church body. So you indeed today are a special person as a believer in Christ. You are called to a special mission for the glory of God, and you are certainly called to a higher standard as a believer in the Lord Jesus, a higher calling, a higher walk, than that of the world. We are called as Christians to be above reproach in everything as citizens of God's kingdom. We are changed in our beliefs, Paul says. But he goes further. We're called to change in our behavior. Now, we've been studying Ephesians for quite some time, and, and as we have so read in these verses today in Ephesians 4 and 5, it's as if Paul is saying to us, you know, since God has saved you, since Christ has redeemed you, since Christ has forgiven you, since he has blessed you and made you a part of his church, since he has equipped you to edify the body, and because Jesus is Lord of your life, here is how every member in the body of Christ should live as a member of his church. Now, I'm going to share this with you today. Some of you are not going to like everything that I have to say this morning. Some of you are not going to like to hear uh, everything that we, that we talk about this morning. To be honest, 
There are some who really do enjoy the dog food. There are some who enjoy being the dog. Some think that they can read the text like this and say, you know what, that's no big deal. Uh, I, I like to play around with sin. I get along with it just fine. I can stop whenever I want to. Uh, uh, or nobody sees me doing these things, so it's not really hurting anybody or offending anybody. We're good at justifying things because, you, you know, uh, if someone upsets us or has hurt us and makes us angry, we can lash out and justify that. Some read the text and say, man, th this doesn't apply to me. I, I don't want you to resist the Holy Spirit working in your heart today. Okay, don't resist God's truth for your, for your life. Okay, this is a letter written to God's church. And if you know Christ as Savior, this teaching is for you. It applies to you. Scripture is timeless. It's also always relevant. So while I may not like what I'm reading, you may not like what you're reading, it may be exactly what we need to hear. And I want to begin today by first sharing with you the calling to our righteousness, the calling to righteousness. Uh, when you take a look at verses 17 through 24, um, we'll read, it says, This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their minds. Make no mistake about what you've read. Christians are called to abandon the old self. Christians are called to forsake the old self, uh, the old nature, to, to put it off, to leave it behind long and gone. We're not to do the evil things that we once did before we were saved. They're in the past. They're gone. You, you take a look at verse 18, having their understanding darkened. They're talking about those who are foolish, those, those who are Gentiles, those who do not know Christ, those who are ungodly, says they have their understanding darkened. They're alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness that's in their heart, who being past, who, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lust, lewdness, to work all uncleanness with greediness, but you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct, the old man, which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust, and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, that you put on the new man, which was created according uh, to God in true righteousness and holiness. What is Paul telling us today? that we cannot and should not imitate the life of an unsaved person. Those who do not have Christ are dead in their trespasses and sins. Okay, we've been raised, if you know Jesus, and this is not about us boasting. Okay, this doesn't make me any better than you. This doesn't make you any better than anybody else. Okay, it's who we are in Christ. We have been raised. We're no longer dead in our sins. We've been raised. We've been given new life. We've been given eternal life in Christ Jesus. We have his righteousness covering our lives. From this text alone, we learn that believers should think differently. Believers should speak differently. Believers should walk differently. Believers should live differently. Believers should treat each other differently. All in all, we identify differently than the Gentiles. Now, you, you have a high calling in Christ. And, and as a Christian, you can't abandon that calling. 
It's yours, okay? Uh, unless you want to look like a Gentile, unless you want to walk hand in hand with the world, unless you want to be reproached, Christians are called to live differently in righteousness. It says, no longer walk together as the Gentiles walk. When, when we read this, what does that mean? A lot of people take a look at it and says, a Gentile Jew, you know, two different things. Okay, so here's what I want you to understand. Gentile in this text is a term that describes ungodly people. Okay, unsaved people, uh, unchanged pagan people. It describes not just lost people in Paul's day, not just lost Gentiles in Ephesus, but lost people in general. To, to put things in perspective, okay, let, let's look in the first century in Paul's life. When, when Paul lived in Ephesus, uh, the Gentiles were particularly sinful. They, they were uh, a leading cultural empire, Ephesus was. They were the leaders in commerce, uh, they were at the center of the Roman Empire, and, and they were the home, Ephesus was the home to a pagan temple called Diana, all right? And, and the temple of Diana was one of the, the natural wonders of the ancient world. And, and in this temple, worship of Diana was at the center of idolatry and immorality. Ephesus was a wicked place, and there was a lot of wicked people in Ephesus, and, and people prostituted themselves in sin. So much to be named. And, and many of the Christians that lived in Ephesus came out of that background. Many of those who had been saved once lived in idolatry or once lived in prostitution or once lived in immorality. It was because Paul preached against their trade of idolatry that he was arrested. That's the kind of environment that he was in. The business of a Gentile in Ephesus was in direct opposition to God. One, one fifth century source, Heraclitus, he wrote of Ephesus. He said that, he said that Ephesus was the darkness of vileness. The morals were lower than animals, and the inhabitants of Ephesus were fit only to be drowned. It was a situation that was not going to get better. It was only going to get worse, and the Ephesian Christians were saved out of that lifestyle. They were called out of that lifestyle. They were called to live differently, but the question on the table is, how? They still lived on the island. Okay, they still lived in the cesspool. They were Christians, but they were living in a world that was sinful. They would pass by places where they were once involved. They would face temptations to revert to their old ways day in and day out. I'm saying this because I want to remind you that just because you're saved doesn't mean that you are free from the world. We're not called to monastery living. All right, we're not called to remove our light from the darkness, but to penetrate the darkness with the hope that is found in us. The world will remain around us, okay? It's going to get worse before it gets better. Read the end of the book. People, people will stay in darkness. People will walk in darkness. People will continue to resist the Lord. People will continue to hate the things of God. People will continue to do disgusting things that don't honor Christ. People will still live and operate as dogs. We're not called to that, though, as a believer in Christ. We're called to hate sin. Love the sinner, yes. Care for them. Pray for them. Be angered by, by, by the unrighteousness in them. But we're supposed to hate sin. I don't know about you. I, maybe it'll make everybody feel a little bit comfortable when I just say, I hate sin. Maybe you should say that. I hate sin. 
I hate it when I'm tempted with it. I hate it when I'm provoked to go with it. I, I hate it when, I lead, when it leads others astray. I hate it when sin is justified. Uh, I hate it when I justify. I, I hate it when, when it hurts the ones that I love. Yes, we, we uh, will in, get invited to give ourselves away in it, but we should not give in to it. Shouldn't even give a second thought to it. Th- these are things that Christ died for. That's why we should hate sin. These are things that crucified Christ. These are the reality that we live in a fallen world. So we shouldn't be surprised that we live in a sinful world, that we continue to live in a sinful world. But folks, we in Christ have left living in the ways of the world. We have signed our release orders from from the world, and there's no turning back. You know, as as a believer in Jesus Christ, on the foundation that we are in Christ, and by the reality that we are redeemed children of God, we are called according to the purposes of God, and we are absolutely set apart from the rest of the world. The world doesn't know Christ. The world doesn't follow Christ. And wouldn't it be a shame, just for a moment, think about this, wouldn't it be a shame and a poor testimony on our part to step away from our walk with Christ to go back to where we came from? Would that lead anybody to Jesus at all? First Peter 4 3 and 4 tells us, you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They are surprised that you do not join them in their reckless wild living, and they heap abuse on you, and they may. The world may do that to you. You know, they may say, you know, you act all big and better, or they may say, they may mock you and say, you know, you're, you're just acting all holier than thou. But let me tell you something. You are called for more. You are meant to be holy. You are saved for more. Especially, folks, in this crucial time, we have no time to waste looking like or living like the world around us. That applies to every element of our lives. Not just in our doing, okay, but in our thinking, in our talking, in our treatment of others, in our responses to life's most difficult circumstances, even in the way we as Christians respond to present circumstances. How we respond as citizens of the kingdom of God has a major impact on the lost world for Christ. Keep in mind, we are always called to be salt and light of Jesus. We, we are always called to be salt in this decaying world, this tasteless world. We are always called to be light in this dark world. Scripture tells us to not, to not love the world or the things of the world. If anybody loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. And John reminded us that the world itself, it's passing away. Okay, it is fleeting by, and so are the lust in this world. But the one who does the will of God abides forever. Paul says in these verses here, it is futile to live like the world. Why would you want to do that when you have a high calling to righteousness? He writes, lay aside the old self. The old self has a, has a hard heart. 
The old self is selfish. The old self is arrogant. The old self thinks that their own way of thinking is the best way of thinking. They pursue what's best for them, what works for them, what's right for them, what's all about them. It's a me-first mentality in the old self. Paul said that way of thinking, that way of living is the opposite of the way of the Lord, the calling of the Lord. When we live that way, we look and act as if we're spiritually lost still. Blind to the truth, he says those who live in that way are blind to the truth. They're calloused in their hearts. They're skewed in their worldview. They're depraved, perverted, greedy, immoral in our motives and actions. Paul says strip that off. We are called to strip off the old. We came to know Christ and we were taught to be rid of the old former way of life and its corruption and to be renewed, Paul wrote, in our minds, transformed in our minds and to put on the new self, which is what God desires for us, who are in his likeness in the way of righteousness. We shouldn't go back. We don't want to go back. We can't go back. There's not a single reason why we should want to. I'm telling you, folks, the, the, the worst day as a Christian... The worst day that you could possibly have as a Christian would be 10,000 times better than 10 million of the best days for somebody without Christ. Can you imagine going through this time without Jesus? Where's your peace? Where's your sanity? Good grief, I'm losing my mind. Where's your joy? Seriously, if not for Christ, where's your love? Where's hope? I, I can't imagine, I, personally speaking, I can't imagine a single day without the Lord. And uh, I, I'm thankful that Christ has saved me. And as you're listening this morning, I, I pray that you know the Lord Jesus as Savior as well. And if you don't, come to him right now. Know him right now. Receive him right now and be saved. You know, just one more thought. And at this point, I'll move on to the next. These verses, when you read these verses uh, 17 through 24, they're supposed to be read with, with a sense of, of urgency because Christianity calls us, requires us to live a revolutionary change of life. We're no longer slaves to the enemy. Okay, as slaves to the world, as slaves to sin, we are called to put on the new man. Now, our calling is to put off the old and put on the new. Now, how do I do that? That's a good question. How do I put off the old man and, and put on the new? Would it comfort your heart today to know it's already been done? You don't, have, you don't have to do anything. Okay, these things happen when you were saved. Upon salvation in Jesus Christ, the old was shed off. And Christ covered you in his righteousness. You repented of your sin. You turned from your sin upon faith in Jesus. You renounced your sin. You embraced new life in Christ. You submitted yourself to the lordship and leadership of Christ in your life. You have a new master now. And because your heart is new, because you are a new creation, your mind has also been renewed. The old self is already gone. Okay? Christ did not save you to keep your old self he gave you a new self. Now, how do we know this? What does God's Word tell us? You read in uh, uh, Romans chapter 6, verse 2, it says, We have died to sin. We've been baptized into Jesus Christ. We've been united with Him in His death. Our body of sin has been done away with. We have died with Christ, and now we walk in the newness of life. In Christ, the old self 
They no longer exist. That is not who you are anymore. Yes, we still have this old body. Okay? We, we have the flesh. Sin still remains. But we now have the awesome new self that does not have to cave in to peer pressure, that does not have to cave in to the pressure of the old way of life. The old grave clothes have been shed off. They've been burned away to never be put on again. You've been given a new life in Christ. And there's no need to turn back. What you have in Jesus is far better isn't it? Think on that. So I wanted to show you exactly what that looks like, you know, as a believer in Christ. When, when Paul says that we put off the old man and we, when we put on the new, when we came to Christ, when we received Christ as Savior, I would say, now I really like this jacket. Isn't that very fitting? We, we were comfortable in our sin. We, we, we were dying, actually dead in our sin. But when Christ saved us, we took off the old, Okay. This is all I'm taking off, by the way. But we took off the old, took off the old, and in Christ, in Christ, he put on the new. Isn't this, isn't this, doesn't it look pure, right? It's not as fashionable, but it's still, still good. It's the best. It's the best. We put on the new. That's what it looks like. That's exactly what the reading, like what, when you read into it, that's exactly what it means, that the old is gone. It's been put off, and Christ has covered you. Christ has covered you, has put, put on a new life in him. Now, I want to talk to you further about the cultivation of that righteousness, the cultivation of that righteousness. Um, I feel like that there should be some organ music right now as I wear this robe. And I preach this message. Anybody do that? Okay, so, so uh, you, you, the cultivation of righteousness. Take a look at verses 25 through 32. It says, Therefore, put away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry. Do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. Let him who stole steal no longer, but rather let him labor, working with his hands what is good, that he may have something to give or share so who has need? Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for necessary edification, that it may impart grace to the hearers. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ forgave you. God is doing a new work in all of us, isn't he? Think about that. God is cultivating within us, setting us up for righteous living on a daily basis. You see, as new creatures, we are called and we are now able to live as new creatures. We have all that we need. You think about that. People ask, what do I need to do? What do I need to do? We, we have all that we need to have our faith renewed each day, to have our minds renewed each day. When we live in obedience to the Word of God, the Holy Spirit empowers us. When we yield our flesh over to the control of the Holy Spirit, we are able to move forward with this kind of righteous living, with this kind of obedience. It's not rocket science, folks. It really is simple. It's simple. We yield ourselves to Christ. It doesn't make it easy. It doesn't make it easy. 
But it isn't simply as yielding yourself over to Christ and being obedient to his word, listening for what God has to say on the matter in our life. It's one thing, folks, to talk about living for Christ. Lots of people do that with good intentions. It's another thing to live it out. Reminds me of a story I heard about a young man. He was one day uh, on his way to visit a friend. We'll, we'll name him John. And uh, his friend John lived on a farm, and uh, he entered the farm. He began to walk up the road that led to the house, and he, he passes by a barn. And, and as he gets near, he, he stops, and, and he's perplexed because he saw something on that barn that just mesmerized him. I mean, fascinating him. Uh, he, he looked, and, and on the barn, there were 20 targets. And, and, and in the middle of each target, there was a bullseye. And in the middle of each bullseye was a hole. Someone was using that barn as target practice, and whoever it was that was shooting was a professional. They were doing it perfectly. There were no other holes in the barn except for the holes in the bullseyes. They were centered in targets. He couldn't believe it. He goes on to his friend John's house, and when he meets up with John at the house, he said, before we begin the day together, I've got to ask you, who in the world can shoot like that? I, I want to meet him. And John said, well, I did. I shot those. And, and he looks surprised at John. He says, wait a minute. I can't believe anybody can shoot that good. There are 20 targets all over that barn, 20 bullseyes with 20 holes in each bullseye. You mean to tell me you did that? And John said, yeah, I made every shot. How, how did you do that, John? Where did you learn to shoot like that? And John said, it's simple. I shot first, then I drew a picture of the target around the hole. A lot of us are like John. We just look like we're on target. You know, we, we talk a good game. We, we've learned the Christian lingo, the verbiage. We, my, my friend Hunter, Hunter calls it Christianese. You know, we, we, know that, we know what Christians are supposed to say. We, we carry a Bible but don't know what it says. We, we've learned the fine art of going to church instead of being the church. We, we've learned the art of consumerism in the church instead of evangelism in the church. Uh, we, we even have the right songs to sing, even, even uh, uh, volunteer in various roles in the church. We've got it down to a science. To some, it looks like you're on target, bullseye, but in reality... It's not that we've hit a bullseye. It's not that we're living out or walking out or truly living for Christ. We're just really good at painting. It's very possible to go through the motions and, and never live life on target. And Paul says here in Ephesians 4, I want to share with you how you can live your life on target. This is what a righteous life looks like. This is what God is cultivating, preparing uh, in you for you to be able to do. He's refining you daily to be more and more like his son. And folks, our, our reactions will reflect our words. Our words and our thoughts and our actions will reflect the change that's in our hearts or not. It'll reflect our calling to righteous living or not, to holy living or not. Paul mentions a few things that I want to share with you that these are cultivated evidences of a maturing Christian. And, and listen, as, as, we, as we go through these today, I want you to know, I'll be the first to admit, I have not arrived, and, I, and, I, and I'm not perfect, I don't claim to be perfect, and neither can you, but, but I do know this, that God is at, at work in our lives, that God is doing a perfecting work in our lives, and, and, so, and so these are things that, that will change and should change and can change if we will allow Christ to do this perfecting work in us.
this cultivating work in us. So, so uh, let's, see, let's see some evidences of, of a maturing Christian. One is the lies we once spoke have given way to truth. The lies that we once spoke have given way to truth. Everything we say should be grounded in truth. You know, we, we live in a lying society. Uh, in, nearly, in nearly every realm, lies can be found. I, I, heard, I heard once that on average, I think everybody lies like seven times a day or something like that. I, I don't know if that's true or not, but we have to remember our enemy, Satan, the devil, he is the father of lies. And, and he will lie to you about anything. He will lie to you about life. He'll lie to you about death. He'll, he'll lie to you about heaven. He'll lie to you about hell. He'll lie to you about God and Christ. He'll lie to you about himself. He'll lie to you about scripture. He, he'll lie to you about good and evil. Anything that ears will listen to, he'll lie to you about. Believers in Christ do not want to be found in the camp of liars. Now, now what is lying? Lying is when we tell something that isn't true of someone or something. That, that's, a, that's a simple term. But it also can include exaggerating. It also can include adding falsehood to what is already true. It also could allude to cheating in school. That's lying. Cheating on your taxes. That's lying. Making promises to someone uh, and not keeping them or don't keep them or don't intend to keep them. That's lying. Betraying someone's confidence can be lying. Uh, being too flattering is lying. Making excuses is lying. We are to be founded on the truth. Paul, Paul wrote that we are to speak the truth with each of us, with our neighbors, for we are members of one another. Now, this, is, this, is, this relates to the body of Christ. We are a part of one another. And, and to spread falsity, to spread gossip, to talk about someone behind their back, we can't possibly function as the body of Christ if our members are sending the wrong signals to other parts of the body. There was a little boy who one day went to a Sunday school teacher and he said, I've spread a lie about one of my classmates at school. What do I do? And the Sunday school teacher said, take a feather, and, and put it on every step you see in the neighborhood. So the boy goes and gets a couple hundred feathers, and, and he puts them on all the steps in his neighborhood. And he says, now what? He asked his teacher. And, and the teacher said, now, now go and pick each one of those feathers up. But when the boy went to pick them up, most of them had been blown away by the wind. And to which his Sunday school teacher said, once you spread a lie, once you gossip, once you slander someone else, it's nearly impossible to stop the consequence. All right? Tell the truth, Paul writes. Do it in love. You know, remember what I said a few weeks back in our study on, on Matthew about the heart. You know, speaking the truth in love. You can be 100% right about something, but 100% wrong if there's no love in your heart in what you're saying to that person. Okay, If there's no genuineness or true concern for the one you're speaking to, is there really love in your heart as you speak the truth? Paul also says we should go from unrighteous anger and, get, and let that give way to righteous anger. Now, this is difficult. In verses 26 and 27, it says, Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. We've been studying the gospel according to Matthew on Wednesday nights, and we've been talking about the perils and dangers of anger and hatred in our heart to another person. And when you are at that point, we learned from Jesus himself, when you are so angry with a person that you hate them in your heart, you have murdered them, Jesus said. An angry Christian is, is not an effective witness. I think of all the, the characteristics that Paul lists, and this one seems to creep up on me the most. Okay, I, I am not generally an angry person. 
I'm not generally a, 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 a mad person. My wife says that, that I have a button or two that if they get pushed, you know, too many times, I tend to, to blow up. Like, I can build it up pretty well. I can be frustrated for a while, let it build up. But then when it blows, it blows. And, and when I get impatient or when things don't go quite as planned, that's when I tend to get upset or mad. I've, I've had bouts of that. Maybe you have too during this COVID-19. All, all of them selfish, really. You know, when we're thinking about the big picture here, my frustration or aggravation and anger isn't going to change anything. It's just going to make others miserable if they're around me. I really should be praying. And Paul, Paul here says, be angry, sin not. Now, that, that is challenging because there are things in life that, that should anger us, but they should righteously anger us. Paul David Tripp said it so well in a seminar that he called uh, how to be good and angry. He said, it is true that most of our anger is dangerous and destructive. That is because it is idolatrous anger. I do not get angry because of your brokenness or the world's brokenness, but because in your brokenness, you get in the way of what I crave. Tripp says, on the way to the cross, Christ died to free us from this kind of anger, but not from anger. Jesus died to produce a culture of people who are so in love with him, so committed to his righteous cause, and so distressed by what sin has done to them in their world that they cannot help but be angry every day. This is not the old selfish, unholy anger. These people are good and angry at the same time. This new anger is an unquenchable zeal for God's cause and an uncompromising distaste for sin. He said, it's the anger of compassion that cannot help but to seek relief for people who are suffering from sin's damage. It's the anger of mercy that responds to the foolishness of sin and the understanding of grace. It's the anger of restoration that refuses to condemn but believes that rebels can be built into the likeness of Jesus. It's the anger of service that finds delight in helping burdened pilgrims bear their load. And it's the anger of peace that hates division that sin has birthed in our world and does everything that can be done to restore harmony. Christ died so that you would be angry at the way sin has damaged the world you live in. Christ died so that your anger would be holy and pleasing to him. Christ died so that your anger would propel you to act in deeds of mercy, love, forgiveness, compassion, restoration, and peace. You, you see what I'm saying here? Some things should anger us. Injustices in this world immorality, idolatry, hypocrisy, abuse, murder of innocent life, defiance, disobedience uh, towards the things of God, those things should cause us to be angry, yet we should be angry and sin not, Scripture says. When, when our anger is selfish, when it's undisciplined, when it's off target, when it's against flesh and blood, when it's demeaning, there's no place for it in the Christian life. So we can't give the devil an opportunity, Paul writes. Even if you're right in your anger, we shouldn't let it go unchecked because the enemy will use that as an opportunity to destroy you. Number three, we go from stealing to sharing and serving. In other words, we should be honest, okay? Uh, in our work, in everything we do, we should do it for the glory of God at work, in our studies, when it comes to the laws of the land, in everything. We don't need to steal. We don't need to lie. Instead, we should work. And the reasons we work are so that we can provide for our own, but also, to, to stretch it further, our work should be as a means of service to other people. Now, I know that that might not always be on the forefront of your mind when you go into work every day. My son, Micah, likes to work for money. 
That's really the only reason that he will work at times is for money. And I'm not, I'm, not putting him, I'm not putting him down. He's eight years old. Some would say that's smart business. You know, if you're ever good at something, you shouldn't do it for free. All right? So, so he's always wanting to make a dollar for something. Can I pick weeds out of the garden for $10? Can I rake leaves for $20? Can I watch you do heavy lifting for $200? I mean, that's just that's how his mind, how his mind thinks. A couple of weeks back, I took him with me to help someone with their yard work, and I told him before we went, I said, now, we're here to help this lady. Okay, we're not here to make money. We're not going to make money. We're here to serve, and the lady gave her money anyway. Okay, <laughs> so, so he learned absolutely nothing that day. But, but we, did, we did talk about the importance, though, of hard work, helping others. That's what this means. Don't steal. Be honest. All right. He goes further. He says, we're to go from bad, damaging language to uplifting language. The way we talk is another important mark in the body of Christ. Even our speech has been transformed by the power for God. I've got a dear friend and brother in the Lord whom I'm thinking of who has shared with me multiple times that this was one of the very reasons that he knew he was saved. Apart from believing on Jesus Christ, his language changed. Uh, when, when you go from a potty mouth, I mean, like, we're talking, uh, the word unwholesome, when you read that in the text, the word unwholesome literally means rotten, spoiled fruit, vegetables, and meat. Okay, when you go from that, okay, when you go from, from spreading bad jokes and profanity and dirty stories and cursing and angry language to a mouth that uplifts and encourages and builds up and edifies others, a change has happened. When your speech becomes gracious... When your speech pleases the Lord, when your speech praises God, it has positive influence on other people. Our tongues, we know from Scripture, our tongues uh, is a powerful force. And Scripture says if you can control the tongue, you have control of your whole body. With it, you can boast in the Lord or you can boast in yourself. With it, you can encourage someone in one statement and destroy their world in another. You can praise and profane with the same mouth. We don't want to grieve the Holy Spirit, Paul says, in anything that we do. By the way, you know, all, all sin is painful to God. But to grieve the Holy Spirit, as you read here in Ephesians 4, means to break His heart. When we as God's children refuse to change the ways of the old for the ways of the new, God is heartbroken. Here's why. Because Christ has saved us. God has sealed us. The Holy Spirit is God's personal mark on us. It's like Him putting His signature over our lives, on our hearts. We should be eternally grateful for what God has done for us in Christ in so much that we ought not to offend or hurt His heart in any way. I'm going to have to stop here. But God cultivates in us a change as well in our relationships. We read here that we go from doing evil to one another to doing good, from walking in the flesh to walking in the Spirit, really. I, I want you to take a look at these last, uh, last few verses here in chapter 4 as we end out our time today. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 31 says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. It's very fitting that Paul ends this chapter with these words. Kind of summarizes all that we have read leading up to this point. Put away anything that will destroy relationships personally, he writes. 
uh, whether it be between you or another believer, you, uh, you and an unbeliever, you don't want there to be a break in the fellowship. And here's the thing, when an unbeliever sees a believer acting like the rest of the world, the rest of society, doing what the rest of society does, the church becomes tainted to them, blemished to them, a joke to them, can be a hindrance of the gospel of Jesus Christ being spread to them. We are called, Scripture here is telling us, we are called as Christians to righteousness, to live above reproach. What does that mean? It means that we're to live in such a way that there shouldn't even be a trace of an accusation or criticism made against us in Rome. Even if there is, it should, be put, it should put them to shame if they were to speak against you, for they would truly know different. I, I don't want to cause you know, anyone else to stumble uh, or fall into sin. I, I, I don't want to be the reason Personally, I don't want to be the reason for anyone falling away. I, I, I don't want to be the reason a, a believer in Christ leaves the fellowship. I, I, I don't want to hurt the heart of God or, 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 or uh, quench the Holy Spirit. I, I, don't, I don't want to hurt the body of Christ in any way. I want to be careful in my walk. That's why chapter 5 is so important. It says, be careful. Be imitators of God. Be careful. Be wise, not as unwise. I, I should desire that my life would draw others to Christ. I should be, as a believer in Christ, in righteousness, I should be the most forgiving person, the most compassionate person, the most gracious and tenderhearted. It, it doesn't mean that I can be walked all over. It doesn't mean that I'm weak. But it does mean that when people see, uh, when they see me or they see you, they see the one who saved your soul and changed your life and delivered you and redeemed you and gave you a new life. If God has been gracious to you, and I should be that way to other people. Because here's the reality. I was once an enemy of God. I was once opposed to his word. I was once evil and hurtful to others, ungracious to others, uh, selfish to others, and unkind to others. I had a condemning sin uh, in my heart, but Christ was gracious to me. Christ saved me. Christ redeemed me. Christ brought me out of the pit of hell and made me new. Christ forgave me of my sin. And because of that love and grace, he has purposed in our hearts to do the same, to treat others with the same love. You say, that was easy for God to, for God to do. Wait a second. Do you think God sending his only son to be brutally murdered on a cross was easy? Do you think God coming down to us Leaving the glories of heaven to, a, to, to come and live on a sinful earth was easy? You think humbling himself was easy? You think taking on everybody's sin when you had none was easy? When you and I realize the value of a soul, we realize the worth and value of our salvation. It's not a cheap gospel. It's not something that I haphazardly live out. It's not something that I just throw on, you know, when it's convenient for me or when it fits right or if it's in style or if it's convenient. It's supposed to be who I am. I don't just say I believe it. I actually live it. And his salvation should be reflected in every part of my life. His righteousness reflected in every part of my life. Have you so been changed? Is God cultivating that in you? Or are you being resistant today? We are called to righteousness. God is cultivating in us righteousness at all times. And it culminates, this is the third but not shared point, 
It culminates in a life that imitates God. A life of love before others. Let's pray together. Father, in Jesus' name, I, I pray today that the Word of God would do its work. We have more than enough today. More than enough from, from, from Scripture today to speak directly into our circumstance, to speak directly into our lives. And I am trusting, God, that whomever hears today, whomever hears beyond this point, I pray, God, that, that your Holy Spirit would do a convicting, cleansing, life-changing work. I, I pray against all pride. I pray against a hard heart. I pray against a, a, a proud spirit, a selfish spirit. I pray, Lord, that, that they would, in this moment, surrender. That they would surrender the old flesh. They would surrender the old self. And they would allow the Holy Spirit of God to speak loud and clear into their reality. Father, I, I, I want to thank you and, and praise you for the work that you have done in my life and, and throughout the lives of those that belong to our church and those who belong to the universal church. Thank you, God, for your cleansing, perfecting work. Thank you, God, that your righteousness uh, uh, covers our unrighteousness. As a matter of fact, your righteousness obliterated our unrighteousness. Thank you that when you went to the cross through your Son, that you paid the price for all of our sin, all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of the lies, our old identity gone, and you literally raised us from the dead and brought us to life in Jesus. We should rejoice in that, and we should not take it for granted. That's why living for you, Father, should be the, the desire of our heart, the prayer of our heart today. I know we look at this, and it can be easy. It can be tempting to say, oh, this is legalism speaking. You know, we're not, we're not able to have, you know, any fun. And if I can't, if I can't be coarse or, or, or rude or if I can't, if I, you know, if I have to put away these things that I, that I want, that I, that I hold on to, I'm not going to have near as good of time. I, Lord, I, I pray that you would just dispel that myth, that garbage. For living in Jesus and living for Jesus is greater freedom and joy and purpose than they would ever have otherwise. I pray that they would know true peace is found in Christ. So God, I, I pray today, if someone today needs to put their faith in Jesus, that they would let that be, no, be made known. That they would say, I need to be saved, I need to be redeemed, I want to put my faith in Christ. And your word says that if we would believe on the name of the Lord Jesus, we will be saved. So I pray today that if someone doesn't know Christ, they would believe right now. And they would be saved. And if they believe, they are saved. And if they're saved, they are new. The new man has, has been given to them. They have a new, they have a new calling, a new, a, new, a new righteousness that has been given to them to live out. I pray, Lord, that they would walk confidently in what your work and what you have done. And I pray for the church. I pray you would continue to purify the body of Christ. Challenge us, God, when, and convict us, God, when we, when we make little of what comes out of our mouths or what comes into our heads and what comes out of our hearts. Convict us, God, when our actions don't line up with our talk. And God, change us by your grace. Change us to be more and more like Jesus. Thank you, God, for your word today. I pray comfort and peace over every home this morning. I pray, God, that every family would be blessed today. I pray, Lord, that we would walk in confidence in your work, in your word, and that this week, this week, we would study more, we would dive in more to what it looks like 
to live a righteous life. I'm thankful that your righteousness covers ours. It is so much greater. I'm grateful that we walk in the righteousness of Jesus today. And I pray this in your powerful name. Amen. I want to thank you again for being with us this morning. Our praise team is going to come and um, they're going to close us out in, in special song. Uh, if you enjoyed this time together, please make, make sure to share it with others. Let others know um, that God is still at work. God is still moving. God is still ministering um, in, in this world. And so I'm thankful that you are with us today. God bless you all. Okay. This is a song that uh, Josh uh, in, introduced to us um, when he started singing with us, and it's an awesome song. It's called My God Fights for Me, and we hope you enjoy it. It was fun learning how to do this song, and uh, just uh, y'all have a wonderful day, and y'all enjoy this song.
trapped and you can't get out. Well, are you staring at a lion's mouth? Can you stand before the Lord? Or do you need to hit the floor? Cause it don't matter what you've done. Cause the battle is. 